All right, we good? Yes. Doubt. We live in a very skeptical age, don't we? Like we see stuff and it's like, is this true? Thanks to Facebook, you have to kind of wonder, is, is this true or is it not true, right? Um, because we, we just live in this culture that breeds a lot of doubt and, and, and having to try to maneuver through is it true or not? And when it comes to Christianity, this is something that a lot of people come up against. Because we're worshiping a God that they, we physically cannot see. We're experiencing things within us that we know is from the Holy Spirit, but others may not know. And it, and it creates a lot of doubt for people. How many of you would say, just by show of hands, in all honesty, when you became a believer, this was, you, you, maybe you doubted some of this? Anybody? Like this was, you're telling me that a guy came down, died on a cross, resurrected again, saw a shadow, knew we had six more weeks of winter, like you're trying to figure, that was Groundhog Day joke, but you didn't get it, it's okay. <laughs> Just trying to loosen y'all up, I feel like y'all super tight this morning. There, there's this thing that's kind of like, is it, is it true? And if we're honest, we probably all still have those moments, that there are things that we'll read in the scripture, and it's like, it, is this true and how do i reconcile all of this i want to talk on the subject of doubt this morning in the set the, set the context up for us in our verse today we're going to be looking at matthew chapter 28 so if you have your bibles you can go ahead and maneuver on over to matthew chapter 28 starting in verse 16 but i want to give you some insight in matthew 28 we, we've just come away from the resurrection and Jesus, they, they watch their friend, their rabbi, their messiah be brutally murdered in front of them. They watch him breathe his last. They watch Joseph of Arimathea pull his body off of the cross and take him to a borrowed tomb. They, they watch the stone be rolled in front of the tomb. And you know why the stone was rolled there, right? A lot of people assume that they rolled the stone because there was a fear that they were going to kidnap the body. That's not why the stone was there. Um, back in the day in Israel, they had some wild animals like cheetahs, and uh, they would just maneuver on into these tombs and go, oh, nice. And they would just have a, a, a golden corral buffet. So that's why they put the stones in front of the, the tombs. And so they, they saw this stone be rolled in. They, they saw all hope was lost. And they had their doubts too. Is this guy really the Messiah? Because Messiahs don't die. And so we know that the resurrection takes place. They go to the tomb. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. They go and take this message back to the disciples who are hiding in a room out of fear. And they say, listen, he's not there. And they're like, what? Now, how many of the disciples ran back to the tomb? Anybody know? Just, just two. Where were the other nine? Because we know where Judas was. The other nine were hiding out. They were in fear. Because they, they couldn't believe this news, so they send two out in front to go and find out, okay, it's empty. Now what do I do with this? And, and what we see throughout, the, from the resurrection, there are 13 post-resurrection appearances so jesus will make 13 
different times will appear before the disciples before he will ascend back into heaven. And so there's this verse that's kind of crammed into Matthew chapter 28. And this is going to be, by the way, right before he gives the Great Commission to go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey. Uh, And so right here, crammed into Matthew chapter 28 of that Great Commission and the Resurrection, we get this verse. The 11 disciples leave to go to Galilee. they're, They're currently in Jerusalem. And they've been told by the women, because the, the, message, the message that got to the women was tell them to go back to Galilee, and he'll meet them there. So they go back to Galilee, and that's where we pick up this verse. Starting in verse 17, he says, When they saw him, they worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped him. So Jesus calls them to go back up onto the mountain. This mountain is Mount Arbel. You, it stands out when you're at the Sea of Galilee. It's obvious which one it is. This is the exact same mountain that Jesus brings a ton of people up to, and he chooses his 12 disciples. And this is the same place that he's going to commission them. But I want you to see this verse. When they saw him, they did, they did something. They worshipped him because he had been dead. Now he's standing in front of us. You would worship too. But, but, now who's he talking to, by the way? Come on, tell me who he's talking to. The disciples. And I want you to with confidence to help me read this next verse but some of them oh these are the disciples right these aren't just everyday people these are the guys that have physically seen things with Jesus they had their jokes they probably played pranks on each other but they saw this man feed 5,000 plus people they saw him jump to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and feed 4,000. They watched him heal a demon-possessed man in the garrisons. They, they've watched these things happen. They had a supper with him where he told them that this is the last one, right? And, and this, is, this wine is going to symbolize my blood, and this is, my body is going to symbolize this bread. And they, they took with them this last supper. And, and so they've had these personal, physical experiences with Jesus, and here they are. On top of this mountain, they see him, they worship him, and then it tells us this very key thing that we often overmiss, that some of them doubted. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, it gives me some confidence. That they could be so close to Jesus, but yet still have their doubts. You know, for many people who have left the church, it's been over this five-letter word of doubt. They've had their doubts about Jesus. They've had their doubts about the church. They've had their doubts about religion. And again, if we're honest, we've all had those doubts or have those doubts currently. Because when you start to have doubts, it's scary, right? Because you begin to have questions. And these questions begin to fill you, and sometimes you wonder, "Am am I the only one that thinks this? Am I crazy or am I the only one that thinks it? Because if I ask this question, what are people going to think about me? You ever been in that moment? Like if I ask this question about Jesus in this circle, in this disciple group, or, or in this body of believers, that what, what, what am I going to get? Am I going to be judged because I did not know? What are they going to think about me? So you feel guilty and you feel ashamed and you never say anything and eventually people walk away from the faith. Because we have not created a safe space for people to ask questions. Am I right? 
Uh, questions are important, by the way, because if you'll notice Jesus' approach to teaching, very seldom does he tell them this is what you're supposed to do. When he's asked a question, he typically answers it back with a question because he's trying to challenge and get people to think to own their faith. So I think there's several reasons why we doubt. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of those reasons. I think, number one, we doubt because there's questions that we can't answer. There's questions we can't answer. There, there's moments that you have probably come across something in the Bible, and you say, well, there's that. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what that means. And, and we, we will have these questions that will begin to bring up doubts. I, I just want to free you a little bit this morning that God is infinite, and he's infinite in his wisdom. We are not. Our ways are limited. It says that his ways are higher than ours. There will never be a day on this side of eternity where we fully understand everything about God. The moment that we know every single thing about God, he is no longer God. So we're going to have our questions. There's going to be things that we're going to come up. I've had some of you ask me questions about the scripture, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be in heaven or not. I don't, I don't know you know, what, what's going to happen here. I, I, I don't, I have questions too, and I don't, I don't know, because the scriptures aren't really clear, but instead of like having my doubts, what I have to do is just pick that up and carry it with me, because there's going to be a day when we get to eternity that I'm going to have all these doubts to bring to Jesus, and I'm going to see him for the first time, face to face, physically, and I'm just going to drop those doubts, because they're not going to matter anymore, because all my doubts have now been answered in the physical presence of Jesus, and that's what we keep our eyes on. It doesn't mean that, okay, well, I don't understand it, so I'm just going to move on. You, you have to continue to push in to try to understand and get understanding. There's also times that not just that we have questions that we can't answer that cause us doubt. There's other times there's situations that just seem unfair, and it makes us doubt. We see them on the news. You're thinking, okay, if I prayed about that, and God could, but God didn't, then why didn't God do that? Does he even love me anymore? You ever prayed those prayers that you felt like you didn't get answered? And you struggled with them because you prayed for years and God never answered them in the way that you want to. And I'll tell you too, I believe sometimes the prayers that God puts on our hearts to pray are not, not necessarily for right now. Sometimes our prayers are generational and we don't realize they're generational. That the thing that you're praying for right now, the answer may come in a generation or two away. Because remember, He's seeing things from a completely different perspective than what we are seeing. And so our doubts can be caused by things that we think, this is, this is unfair. This is unfair that good things keep happening to bad people and then bad things happen to good people. Y'all have ever asked that question? That's the number one question that pastors get asked. Well, can you explain to me how bad things happen to good people? The response to that question is, there are no good people. There's people that are alive in Jesus and people who are dead. <laughs> Those are the two pieces. And then there's stuff like innocent children that are suffering. Why? Why are we have so many kids in foster care? Why do we watch the news and we see families starving because they can't get food or adequate, adequate water supplies? And then it, it brings up maybe there's some situations that have caused you to think in doubt of God. Or, or maybe your doubts have been caused by some hurts that you can't quite get resolved. Now, now these hurts, you looked at somebody, maybe you looked up to somebody who was a Christian, 
and they just did something horrible, said something about you, did something to you, whatever it was, but they, they, they pro- profess to be a Christian, and then they do something horrible. Maybe you felt like the church was a safe place, and then you got hurt within the church, and it made you doubt God. Maybe sometimes if you talk to Christians, sometimes Christians can make things worse as Christians. You ever been in a conversation with a Christian to try to get some hope, and then you end up realizing, gosh, I don't even know if I want to be alive anymore after talking to that person. Y'all been there? Like, how are you doing? Oh, I am great, highly favored, blessed in the Lord. Are you? Because my life's a wreck right now. Oh, Jesus is so good to me. Like, it's almost like they're on some spiritual drug with the way that they answer questions. And, and oftentimes, you'll go, to, you'll go to some Christians who, to get some help, get some encouragement, and they give you everything but those things, and they have no grace right? Y'all been in those conversations where they had zero grace for you, and there's no bend. They have good intentions, but there's no bend, and you, you know, I've heard it said like this, is, hey, 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 it's, the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. On whose interpretation? Because I read one verse, and you read the same verse, and your verse says that you should go move and build a compound and call yourself a cult and have grape juice and, and I believe we're supposed to go out in all the world and share Jesus and not be isolated so which is right and so so you see these things and, and you may have hurts from from other believers and sometimes I just think as Christians we can do the most damage to one another right like if you think back on some of the hurts and relationship ties up ties that you have had that have been broken I I would venture to say I bet some of those heartaches have come from people that have professed to be followers of Jesus would would I be right on that assessment I can tell you some of the most painful experiences I ever have come through and have been a part of have been from people who profess to be followers of Jesus and it makes me doubt there's a whole generation out there that's in doubt does Jesus even care about us because before people encounter Jesus, you know who they have to encounter? Us. And we're supposed to be image bearers of the king. So oftentimes, maybe our hang-ups and our doubts come from hurts that we cannot resolve. I'll tell you that if you handle your doubts properly, your doubts can actually be a catalyst to have a stronger faith. They can build you. They can help you get to where you need to be as far as your relationship with Jesus. Faith is a journey, not a destination. It's a journey, not a destination. Oftentimes we think, I've got it now, I've got it figured out. I can quote 10 Bible verses. I can pray the Lord's Prayer in the, in the King James Version. And I've got perfect attendance this month in church. So I've got it together, I'm faithful, I'm good. Spiritual growth is an ongoing process that we will never fully grasp and and be done with until we're in eternity it's a constant grow constant following of jesus the the faith is a journey that you never arrive so it's not like i've done all the classes i've done the work i've got the test i've graduated from from faith it's something that we were always pushed and you know what drives our faith our doubts because faith is us believing we all have faith you know how i know you have faith because you sat in these chairs. Did anybody think before you sat in this chair that it's probably going to collapse? 
except the people that have, may have sat in one of these chairs, and it has collapsed. Don't be fear. I don't fear that any of these chairs are going to collapse. We did pray over them. But you have faith, even in the smallest amount. This morning, I want you to see that the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows through your doubts. We can do one or two things when faced with doubt. We can embrace and push into them and learn, or we can run from them. And when you run from your doubts, you're really running away from a faith-building opportunity to draw closer to God. And we don't need to be fearful of our doubts. We don't need to be scared of our doubts. We just need to embrace them because we all have them. But we build cultures and churches to where you're not allowed to have these doubts. I was a, a Bible student going to school for ministry. And I found myself in my freshman year asking the question, is he really real? Because I was on a Christian school campus and I met a lot of Christians that looked really good at chapel services. But when we were off the stage and out in public and behind closed doors, they didn't look anything like the Jesus that they professed. And I started having to ask myself, is this true? And I was faced in a moment to say, do I push into these doubts and ask questions or do I run from them? And to have run from those in that moment my freshman year would have completely changed the trajectory of my life. And I would even say, I think it would have changed yours too. Because I don't know that this would be here. And so, I want to challenge you, especially this morning, we're going we're to pick up a verse here that I, I hope will encourage you to push in to those doubts, to ask questions. Don't be ashamed to ask questions. Thomas in the Bible, after the resurrection, has this encounter with Jesus in John chapter 20. And he says this, that, that one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not when the, uh, with the others when Jesus came. So the, the others came, and, and he's not there. And, and so they find him, and they come to Thomas, and they told him this, we, we have seen the Lord. We've seen him. Now, it's interesting here because in the Greek language, the verb in this text is an, is an active tense. And so what that means is they, they said, hey, we have seen the Lord. Hey, we have seen the Lord. Hey, so imagine your kids on vacation. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That would be the Greek in the active tense. So when they, they're coming to him and they said they told him, we have seen the Lord, what they're saying over and over and over again with excitement and joy. We've seen him. We've seen him. He's alive. We've seen him. Hey, Thomas, did we tell you that we saw him? Hey, by the way, about an hour ago, we physically saw him. Did we tell you that we've seen him? Do you think they were a little overly excited about this? Because they have witnessed Jesus and Thomas is going, uh, listen, I don't know what y'all have been doing, but I saw him on a cross and I saw him die and I saw him take his last breath. Y'all need to chill it out before you get us all killed. And there's this doubt, because Thomas is like, listen, he was dead. And they're like, we know. Here's the great news, Thomas. He's not dead anymore. Like, we have physically seen him. And Thomas is like, I know, you've told me a thousand times now, and I still don't believe it. But he goes on to say that Thomas replied, I will not believe 
I will not believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. I, I need physical proof. Y'all know y'all prayed prayers like that. God, if you really want me to do this, you'll let a star fall from heaven right now. Let me see it. God, if you really want me to do this, then you'll, y'all, y'all ever done that? Thank you. Y'all, y'all sitting back here polishing your halos. I know good and well. Good and well. And, and so Thomas is like, I, 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 need to, I need to put my hand in the nail prints. I need to see them. I understand that you're testifying and saying that you saw something. And, and there were nine of them that were given this testimony. And he's like, I need to see it for myself. There is a doubt. Thomas is like, I, I, need, I need some help. I need to see it to understand it. We always give Thomas a really bad rap, by the way, because he's got a nickname. What's Thomas's nickname? Thomas is known as the... There's some moments in Thomas's life that we see that he's the only one that stands up. Remember, Jesus was about, I can't remember what town it was, but Jesus is about to go into a town. And they tell him, if we go into here, they're going to kill you. Because they've already said that they will kill all the disciples if we go in to here. And Thomas was like, hey guys, let's go to town. Like, let's go do it. He was the only disciple that was willing to walk. And, and Jesus will do a miracle. I believe, it was in, I believe it was Lazarus. And he's the only one that was willing to go put his life. He's like, if we're going to die, it's better, better that we die with Jesus, right? But he gets this bad reputation in this one verse because he says... I don't know, guys. I'm going to need to see it for myself. How many of you are like that? I, I kind of believe you, but I need to see it for myself. I need to see some evidence that this happens. He asked questions. I need to see some things. I need to understand some things. I love what Oswald Chambers said. He said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he's thinking. So when I doubt, it doesn't mean that necessarily I'm wrong. It means that I'm thinking. I'm processing it. Hey, everybody, God gave us a brain to process, to think through, to utilize that so we could draw closer to him. And what we think is oftentimes when we have a doubt that it's, it disqualifies, but your doubts never disqualify your faith. Your doubts strengthen your faith if you'll embrace them. Ask questions, learn. I get it. Sometimes you want a sign. Like you feel God telling you to do something. I just, I need a sign. Give me something, Lord. And so, we oftentimes will disqualify ourselves. When, when we do, I believe we rob ourselves of a stronger relationship with the Father. Now, I want to I want to jump to John chapter eleven real quick because I jumped ahead in my notes. Thomas's bad rap and, and Thomas going to Lazarus in John chapter eleven. It says so. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now here's what he meant by that: that dude ain't breathing. Okay, he's been there for a while. The Bible actually says in the King James version, he stunk. His body, he had been there. And Jesus tells him, Lazarus is dead, guys, so let us go to him. And then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go. 
Because we're going to die with this. We're right or die right here. We're going to go with them. We're going to die it out. Would you agree with me that that's not fear? That that would be courage? Do you think he doubted Jesus? He was willing to die for him in that moment. He's like, if they're going to kill us, let that happen with Jesus. And then there's another time in John's gospel, John chapter 14. Jesus said to them, hey, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to bring you. John chapter 14. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to go to this place called heaven. I'm going to prepare some really cool mansions for you. And then I'm going to come back. And Thomas is like, ooh, nice. I'll take a mansion. And Thomas said, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus like, I just, I just told you I'm going to heaven. And Thomas like, I don't, I don't know where you're going. And I think this was a sincere question, right? Like, where's heaven? Now, you would think as a disciple, he would know to answer that question. That's like basic disciple theology 101. Heaven is not on earth. We're trying to get it here, but it's not here yet. And he says, it's a sincere question. I believe he was really saying, I want to go where you're going. I just need some details. Do I need to pack anything? Is this a physical place? How are we getting there? I just need some details. Thomas wanted to know for himself, and I want you to see how Jesus responded to his doubt. Okay? This is what the scripture says in John chapter 20. Eight days later, okay, Thomas says, could you, could you tell me where we're going? I want to know. Eight days later, Jesus gives him an answer. Now, some of us are, get very impatient with that, right? So sometimes God says, hey, you're going to have to wait eight days for I tell you. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. I want you to keep that in mind. The doors were what? But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. The doors were, how did Jesus get in there? Hmm. He got in. Jesus was standing among them, and he said, peace be with you. Because why would he say, peace be with you? Because the doors were locked, and now he's, he was dead, and the doors were locked, and now he's standing here talking to us, so the first thing he needs to say is, hey, peace be with you. Because they were in the corner. Because why were they already in this room? Because they were what? They were frightened. And now Jesus is standing in there. And I didn't unlock the door. Did you unlock the door? Did somebody unlock the door? Why are we unlocking doors? How did Jesus get in? And he says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, put your finger right here and look at my hands. I want you to put your hand into the wound that is now in my side. And listen to what he says. Don't be what? Don't be faithless any longer. You believe. He says, my Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. He didn't know what Jesus was saying in John chapter 14. But eight days later, it became physical for him. Jesus answers his questions. Thomas, I want you to get this. It was how many days before he got his answer? Thomas showed back up. Because what he could have said is, man, I'm done with this. I can't get my questions answered. I have my doubts. The Messiah, apparently, was standing in front of me. And he can't answer me. Like, I'm one of his guys. Like, I'm one of the 12. But Thomas showed back up. Even with his doubt, he shows back up. 
even when he wasn't sure, he showed back up. When, if, if everyone has been hurt because of doubts in this room, can I applaud you because you showed back up? You showed back up. Because, again, you can embrace the doubts or you can lead, lead the doubts and run. So what did Jesus do? And how did he respond to doubters? Let me, let me give you a couple of things here as we get ready to wrap this thing up this morning. But Jesus came to Thomas, and he gave Thomas exactly what he needed. He gave him some proof. Now, God's not going to always give us physical proof of what we need to do. Sometimes it's just a faith that you're going to have to trust that this is the way to go, and you're just going to have to take some steps of faith. And so Thomas exactly knew what he needed in that moment. God, Jesus gave it to him. One minute he's doubting, the next moment Thomas is shouting and worshiping and proclaiming God as, as the Savior. Proving to you that God's not distant in your doubts. Hey, that's good news. He's not absent from your doubts. He's just waiting for you to respond to him. Jesus, I don't understand this. I don't understand. I don't get this. Like, he's not distant. I love the fact that Jesus is not a standoff Savior. That, that he is in the middle of our lives. He understands what's happening. You can bring your doubts to Jesus. They're safe. Because remember, the beginning of this text, Matthew 28, where are they at? They're, they're, they're about to get their mission, our mission, the co-mission. To go make disciples. And some of them doubted. Now you and I would say, you got doubts, you're disqualified, you can't be a part of this, right? None of them got canceled that day. They all got empowered in that moment. Because Jesus knew. And he wants us to wrestle with things. And here's the beauty of Thomas. Tradition tells us that after preaching Jesus... And preaching Jesus and preaching Jesus because he knew that this was this. I put, hey, listen, I put my hands in his hands and I put my hand in his side. I can guarantee you this is the dude. And he preaches him. And Thomas was actually murdered in India in 72 AD. So when he wouldn't back away from his faith in Christ, they drove a stake through his stomach because he would not surrender to the Lordship of Christ. He wouldn't walk away from that. Proving to us, and I hope you feel this too, is that when you have questions and when you have doubts, your doubts don't disqualify you from faith. He had doubts, but he will go on to bring the gospel to India. And then would be willing to die for his faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means to push through doubt. And the scripture says in Psalm 23 that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil? Because you are with me. You, you, when you go through valleys, you keep walking, right? You keep walking through the valley. Keep following wherever Jesus leads you. Wherever he steps, you step. You bring all your doubts. And you journey with him. You just keep asking questions and trying and trust God. and Just have a little bit of faith. I think for us, here's the problem. That we think that doubt will disqualify us in the relationship with Jesus. And you can't be any further from the truth. 
these guys, these 11, standing there, many of them in their doubts. Think about Peter. Peter denied Jesus. Denied him. And then you flip over the book of Acts and he's restored. Jesus restores him. And now he's preaching a sermon. And it's the funniest sermon, by the way, because the Holy Spirit has come down. And so the Holy Spirit comes and it fills them. And he's now been empowered. His doubts he may still have. But the one thing that he's certain of is that he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he has seen Jesus. And he's going to proclaim that message with, with that. I love the way he starts the sermon out. He says, we ain't drunk. It's 9 o'clock. We filled with the Spirit. And he begins preaching. And 3,000 are added to the church that day. This is a guy who struggled his whole life. Again, you take Thomas preaching the gospel and bringing it to a lost country, to where the gospel is still being preached in India today. Do not let your doubt disqualify you. Push in. Don't be afraid to ask questions, especially in this environment. Ask it. There really is no such thing as a dumb question when it comes to God because we push in and learn more about Him. How, how are we supposed to have a relationship with our Father if we can't ask questions? We can't learn. I don't have to understand to know that He's faithful. I don't have to fully understand to know that He's God. But what I'm going to do is take every doubt that I have, I'm going to push into it, and I'm going to carry those into the other side of eternity. And when I see Jesus, whatever has been unanswered, I'm going to drop it because all my doubts will be revealed. Father, I pray this morning. I think, I'm so thankful that you put people like John and Peter, Thomas, Mark, all guys who, who struggled, who had their doubts, but God, you used them. And you were very clear in the passage to make sure that word got in there, that there were some who doubted. And then within two verses later, you commissioned them to go change the world. We are not disqualified from our doubts. You used them to help us grow. We look at the growth of the disciples after that moment and how you brought life change through them. I pray right now, Father, for anybody that's in here, they have their doubts. Pray that they be open about this, talk about this, ask questions about those doubts. To not flee from them, not run from them, to push in. Because pushing into the doubts is what's going to get us closer to you and understand more about you and who you are. So in these moments as we worship, as we sing a song of surrender, that we're here. Use us. Speak to us. Convict us in this moment, God. May, may we hear from you clearly. And I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing?